it's all in how that entrepreneur handles that setback that tells me if I've got a winner or not. And I just know right away, I'm either going to make money on this thing or not, because it's a real card that shows you how people are when things go awry that lets you know who your real entrepreneur is. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership, where we look at the business end of being a thought leader and how that can help you 10x your impact, income, and influence. I'm Nikki Ballou, your co-host. And I'm your co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, do we have a treat for you today. This lady is one of my all-time favorite entrepreneurs. She is none other than the legend herself, Barbara Corcoran, star of ABC's hit reality television series, The Shark Tank. Hello, Barbara. Hello. I thought you had to be dead to be a legend. Doesn't that go go with that descriptive? Living, living (laughs) legend. legend. That's it. That's it. We're going to have to make sure we pipe that in next time. (laughs) It's really, really fantastic to have you here on the show. Michael and I are truly, truly honored. You know, one thing that we just noticed is that you and the other sharks have now cumulatively invested over $100 million in the American dream. I didn't know that. Let me tell you something. Half that money is Mark Cuban's. Wow. wow. Amazing. Yeah, he's a, he's the big spender. He's the only billionaire on the set, multi-billionaire. The rest of us are just measly millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> measly millionaires. Should most of us have that problem, right? Uh, but it, it's really amazing and uh, that you all have done this because it really speaks of the commitment you have to reinvigorating entrepreneurship in America. Uh, and mm-hmm. I just wanted you to tell us a little bit about that. Okay, well, first of all, you shouldn't uh, polish it up so nice like you did, although I appreciate the compliments. It's really all invested out of uh, a willingness to help entrepreneurs, but we're also out there to make some money, so it's a little bit greedy, too. (laughs) We're out to get the best deal we can that's within reason for the entrepreneur, aggressively bid, cut each other's throats when we have to, (laughs) because we're out to make money on the particular investments. I'm sure you know that it's our real live money that we all work so hard for, and uh, and we want to spend it smartly. Uh, but often we don't. But we definitely are spending it and throwing it at the throwing it at the wall to see what sticks. And uh, it's it's a very exciting thing for me. Uh, the most uh, exciting part of the show is really after the show ends and we get to do the due diligence. We close and then we see what we really got there. And I can tell you, the minute the entrepreneur hits the first big hurdle, which isn't on Shark Tank night because the steps go through the roof, or the next week or two into Shark Tank, but six months later when their product doesn't come through, when someone stole the mole, when when uh, someone uh, quit just at the wrong moment for the, as their first employee when they needed the most help, it's all in how that entrepreneur handles that setback that tells me if I've got a winner or not. And I just know right away, I'm either going to make money on this thing or not, because it's a real card that shows you how people are when things go awry that lets you know who your real entrepreneur is. That's fantastic. You know what? I I love hearing you say that because one of the key elements that I've learned from a lot of my mentors and a lot of the guests on this show is that to really win in life, to really win in business, you've got to persevere no matter what. And that's really what you're saying, Mm -hmm. isn't it? 
Absolutely. And you know what? I have a little trick in my office that I didn't discover till I had enough failures after the second season and now we're in season eight. But I eagerly await when something goes wrong because, of course, things go right on the front side. And what I do immediately is when I see someone take a hit and then they start to feel sorry for themselves or they blame somebody like the producer, the product quality, the fabrication, whatever goes wrong. The minute I hear them blaming, I know I have a entrepreneur that will never succeed and I go right over my wall of photos because I have every entrepreneur beautifully matted in a wall of photos in my office and I flip their picture upside down so that I remember not to spend much time with them anymore because everybody wants your attention. You're going to get like maybe one in three winners and inch by inch, two thirds of my wall is upside down. And I only have a third right side up. And those are the people I push like crazy behind because they have that kind of tough skin that they keep popping up and saying, hit me again, hit me again. It's almost like the people with the lowest IQs do the best in business. Like, I'm not so smart. I don't know I should lay low. I'm I'm back, I'm back. (laughs) And those every time are my winners. So it's, it's been a very interesting learning curve for me to invest smarter, mostly my time as well as my money. It's interesting. And, and Barbara, would you say that the people that have been flipped upside down, have you, have you seen any of them be able to turn themselves right back up if you were? Not a one. And it's not that I'm hoping or damning them uh, forevermore. Not a one has been able to because it's everybody on Shark Tank comes in fueled with passion, a well-practiced pitch, and they really believe in their idea. There's no lack of sincerity, but that's about as valuable as being really hot on your first date. That's about it. And then after that, you have to slug out the marriage for the next 30 years. And anybody who's married knows it's more work than it is romance. So what we get to see on Shark Tank is the romance, the the juiciness of the whole thing. Oh, my God, what an idea, what an idea. But it's meaningless. The idea virtually amounts to nothing as long as it's at least logical, it can fly. And it doesn't even have to be new. You can, there's uh, yeah, new floors, a new pizzeria opening every day of the week, building a success. It doesn't even have to be new. But what it has to have is that great entrepreneur behind it. And that's really all I'm ever looking for. I've learned to really turn a deaf ear on the business itself. And I'm, I'm really super focused on the character and how I'm sizing up that individual who's standing in front of me. You're really giving us a lot of gold here. And I love the analogy to a marriage. It seems like, you know, it's somebody who uh, loves to have a great wedding versus somebody who's ready to do the hard work to make the marriage great, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm old enough that when I go to a wedding now, it's so terrible. I feel like such an old cynic. I'm at the wedding. I'm watching the interaction of the bride and the groom. And, you know, what? I'm thinking this one ain't going to last. There's very few I go to and hear those words till death do us part where I'm like almost chuckling to myself because it's it's so hard to keep it together. And I'm like, I'm like looking at the first go around in the best day of their lives and thinking, uh oh, there's going to be a problem. I'm such a cynic. I should really stay home. It's funny you say that. One of our previous podcast guests is a relationship guru really named Owen Williams. And and he said, it's no longer death do us part. It's till death do us part or till you really, really piss me off. (laughs) (laughs) Or in the case of guys, if you make a ton of money, and you trade your loving mother, the, the mother of your kids and your wife in for a newer model, which happens all the time if your wallet is big enough. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I got to say just on a personal level, I think that's unmanly as hell. 
Uh, no. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. th- th- to me, those those aren't men. Those are those are boys playing around at being men. But anyways, I think Michael has a really <laughs> fantastic question lined up for you. Yes, well, yes. Yes, Barbara. The show's about the business of thought leadership. And I'd really like for you to share how you leveraged your success in business to become a thought leader on the Shark Tank and how being on the Shark Tank has helped you. When you say a thought leader, can you tell me your interpretation of those words so I'm right on point here? You bet. Well, if we think of an expert, that's somebody who knows something, a thought leader would be someone who's known for knowing something. So they're known widely for their expertise. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the only specialty I had uh, once I finished my first 22 jobs and got my 23rd, which was working for myself, thank God, uh, or I don't think I would have been a success working for anyone else because what turned me on was being the boss. I didn't know the sizable difference that made for my personality. Uh, but when you're working for someone else, as I did for so many people in menial jobs, it wasn't like I didn't have a good time at many of them, but I couldn't stand my boss. And now I look back, I go, they were probably nicer bosses than I am, but I didn't want to report to someone. And then once I got that fuel in my soul, that, that fire that was lit, that made me realize, I was totally in charge of my whole world. I could hire who I wanted. I could uh, start my workday when I wanted. I wasn't punching a clock anymore. I was free as a bird and inspired. Okay. Now, when I went on to Shark Tank, jumping way forward, the only uh, body of uh, thought that I really had was real estate. And does that apply to the entrepreneurs on Shark Tank? Uh, Definitely not. But what I did have that helped me so very much is I had spent a lot of time hiring salespeople, which was the lifeblood of a real estate sales company. And I had a thousand salespeople when when I finally sold my business. But... I knew that the magic sauce in all of the the salespeople that I hired that made me my fortune were the ones that were great at their trade. And was knowledge, technical knowledge, part of it? No. I found there was nothing about the knowledge. Everybody who worked for me had a had knew their market. That wasn't it. Uh, but there were only certain people that had the gift of communicating their knowledge in a way that people bought in. And there were only certain people at the top that were able to get one rejection after another, which is the nature of real estate sales. You get probably 15 no's for every yes that could barrel their way through the nose and the personal offense of spending so much of your time on certain people and they never did anything for you in return. And so I found that the people who had that great stick-to-itiveness and the great ability to be slammed on the head and not be smart enough to stay low, to be slammed on the head and like be a low IQ enough to bounce back up and say, hey, hit me again, almost. Those were the winners. And so when I went to Shark Tank, the real thought or the leadership gift I had gotten from my whole career in real estate was sizing people up and really trying to figure out which entrepreneurs were just like my top salespeople. And that's when I went hunting for that. And I do it every time I'm on the scent. I'm hunting for the same people I hunted for my whole life, the real winners who know how to get to the victory or get to the other side when all the bad things happen. And you know, it's exactly true. Every one of my entrepreneurs that are hugely successful, that I'm making money with, are just like my top salespeople. They can all sell, 
They're all fast on their feet under duress. They're all fabulous communicators. They all are impassionate and could sway people to their way of thinking, not just empty words, but they feel it, they mean it, and people buy into it. They're all people that have a great ability not to feel sorry for themselves when things go wrong, so they're not in a low mode for very long, maybe for a minute or two and they're back up. And so those are the things that I was able to bring to the set for my career, even though in season one, I was sitting there thinking, oh my God, I hope they have a real estate pitch here so I know what I'm talking about. And it took me a while to realize I knew exactly what everybody was talking about because it was all about people and nothing about the business that they were pitching. And once I got that, I was able to start becoming a pretty savvy investor on that show. Before that, I was losing all my money. Forget about it. Wow, that's that's gold that you're sharing here to the listener, Barbara. I want you to maybe just elaborate on a couple points for us. I mean, mm-hmm. being a shark has you widely known. A lot of people know who you are. A lot of people watch the show. Uh, you know, it's the number one rated show uh, on Friday nights, right? And you've won thank three. Thank God, yeah. Yeah, thank God. And you've we got, didn't, it wasn't at first. We crawled our way up the ranks, you know. <laughs> which is fantastic. It's a testament to the value that you're delivering and, and obviously the entertainment that you provide to people as well. But you're known on that show right now. People know you as somebody who's savvy, who really bets on the entrepreneur and, 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 and works on making that marriage work when you invest in a company. Mm, I really do. I love my entrepreneurs. It's like a love affair. Oh, that's fantastic. So- that really is a positioning in and of itself. From from the perspective of of the business of being a, a, a thought leader, an expert who's known for, for knowing something, right? You know, if mm-hmm. you were to speak to one of our listeners and give them some advice around this, what would you tell somebody who maybe won't be able to be on the shark tank, but what would you tell them about how to position themselves so that people really understand their expertise and how that can be beneficial for them in their business career? Well, there's so much in that. You know, it's a loaded question in a good way. Um, first off, uh, there's not that many people that can communicate clearly. All right. And so, for example, all the people in my office that I work with now and have always, um, nothing is worse than someone coming in and wanting something, uh, a decision, uh, permission, or anything like that, where they start telling you every detail and you don't have a lot of time. And nobody really has time. And even people with all the time in the world don't have the patience. I think very important is the ability to cut to the chase. So my my thing, I always say, anyone who's new with my firm that I'm trying to groom into someone spectacular, I always say, uh, tell me what you want, give me the bottom line, and then tell me how you got there. And that creates a very good habit of clean communication. Uh, if you notice on the show, most of the entrepreneurs that are not bought I think is a failure to communicate clearly. They confuse the shark so much, the answers are not concise that you lose confidence in them. And they might be the best thing that ever happened, but I doubt it. Because even off the show, they're not going to make their sales. They're not going to persuade people because they have a failure to communicate clearly. So that's one. Uh, Another version of that, which I can't stand on that show, and every angel investor who does it outside of Shark Tank, because we have a huge angel investor community in every city in America now. Um, But 
everyone uh, won't invest unless they can get the message. Okay, and yet people don't really know that old elevator pitch, which isn't even a a great name for it. it. Sounds like a pitch is not genuine. But how do you say what you do, why it's different, and why you personally can do it better than anybody else? That's what everybody wants to buy into. And when people, especially well-educated younger people today, have gone to the Ivy League schools, I'm not knocking them, but any kind of advanced business training, and they start saying, "Well, a burn rate is thirty thousand a month," they're thinking that sounds cool. I'm on the other side as a shark thing. And you mean you're going to lose $30,000 of my money a month? Oh, my That's God. A big difference. <laughs> this fancy language is deadly to, to any kind of communication. Yet it seems to be the flavor of the month in the last year of my life. One third of the people that are pitching on Shark Tank have all the lingo down. It's like, oh, my God, get me a translator. But I don't trust as a result of that because people hide behind education and lingo when what's really important is the guts of the individual individual and how they're going to take the hit. And and if they have no practical life experience, and it doesn't have to be in business. It could be like you were a loser. You got beat up and you came back. Your dad damned you to hell and said you'd never measure up to anything and you're proving them wrong. Those are the kinds of passions that are, are life experiences that I believe in because you have something to reach into your soul and pull out of, you know? But I'm not sure if I was right on point on your question because even your thought leadership word is a little fancy for me. <laughs> no, we so totally get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were so, bang on point, Barbara. Bang on okay, point. Okay, good. Then, oof, lucky for that. I'm well, relieved. <laughs> the thing that you said that we are really big on, like thought leadership, I know it's a bit of a fancy term that's out there these days, um, but it, it, more and more it just refers to people who are able to take the expertise that they have and establish themselves in the marketplace as someone who knows what they're talking about. Really, it's it's people know that you know what you're talking about is another way of saying it, if you want to say it more simply. Well, then you should add a couple of uh, words, I would think, to your podcast. Sure. And because I think uh, the thought, knowing what you're talking about, is about a third of the talent of an entrepreneur. I think two-thirds of the talent of the entrepreneur is their ability to finesse when they don't know what they're talking about, uh, the willingness to charge through the door before they have the answer, uh, believing that most people are a lot smarter under pressure and will come up with the answer once they're under pressure, which I witness day in and day out with myself as well as my great entrepreneurs. And I even, uh, it stuck with me years ago because it's a great analogy. I remember when our uh, great Mayor Bloomberg was first elected in our city and people were questionable, uh, questioning whether he had the talent to be a great mayor and he proved himself many times over that he was. But I remember he was right in office in New York City and I saw him on the 11 o'clock news, fumbling because he was not a good speaker initially, fumbling on giving an award to a uh, to a handyman in a uniform on on the news channel. And he was giving it to the guy because that guy that day saw someone fall into a subway track, jumped down, pushed him against the floor, and the train ran over both of them. They were unscathed. Oh my and he God. was a hero. And so the mayor was giving him the, the figurative key to our city. And that was great to see, but this guy was standing there and, and he, and Mayor Bloomberg asked him the important question we all wanted to know, you know, how does it feel to be a hero? 
I mean, he was a real-life hero. And this guy uh, shot right back. He said, I didn't know I was a hero till I jumped down there. <laughs> I love it. And I remember, bam, it hit me between the eyes. And I was thinking, isn't that the truth? You know, people could have the thought or the plan or even worse than that, the business plan. But the minute it hits the pavement, all is theoretical. What counts is what you do with your gut and how fast you jump and your willingness and your courage to jump in there like that guy did you know that's what makes the hero in that situation of course that proven by that that uh, young man that day but more than that uh, it's what makes the heroes in in business and leadership it's it's the guts uh, and the willingness to put yourself out and, and see what happens without having the answer and without without having the right thought it's it's more of a gut courage stupidness thing than it has to do with the brains you know what i mean <laughs> totally know what you mean Absolutely. and i think we're going to change our tagline to bust through the door figure it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know because i have i'm i'm telling you i have worked with so many people over my life and i know when i had raw talent in front of me whether it be a salesperson the many many thousands i hired over my life whether it be a salesman that i knew had the raw talent but he was lacking the courage because he was almost overeducated as to thinking he needed the answers when i shoved them through the door believed in them and said don't worry i shove them give them that shove Rarely did people disappoint me. Once in a while, someone someone just couldn't function. But people found their strength. And I do that with my entrepreneurs. Oh, we, we have this. We might do this. We might do this. Uh, yeah, just go try them all. What the heck? What's the worst that can happen? You're going to fail? Well, yeah, they do. They fail at two out of three, but one's a big hit. And bam, they make it, you know? So it really uh, makes such a difference, the lionheartedness of someone. Yeah, we love that. We love that. You know, there was something you said uh, in your answer, which uh, Michael and I are really, really big fans of, and we think it's the heart of being successful as a thought leader. And that's really being able to convey your message to people who care about mm. your message powerfully, succinctly, and in a way that mm. promises something that they value. Like we call that an mm -hmm. outcome promise, I guess another fancy term. But really, that's really what you're talking about, isn't it? It's what I'm talking about, but remember uh, what what's behind that message is honest to God, true belief that you're going to succeed. And um, I think it was Mark Cuban uh, I was speaking with uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he invested in a lot of technology startups very successfully on and off the show. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing him, he said it much better than I would, uh, but he said something about when he hears a pitch, not just on the show, but individually, he said the difference between the ones he invests in and the ones he doesn't invest in is the guy that's pitching and everything about him truly believes he's going to make it, truly believes it rock solid, like you can't doubt them. It's that persuasiveness that they've drank their own crazy juice and all, you know, yeah. that they really believe it, like they're in their own universe. They really, really believe that this app is going to be the next great thing. He says those are the ones he picks more than the logical ones that, hey, well, there's not a lot of competition. And yeah, that makes sense because he's learned that the ones that have made his killings along the way in the technology space, which is not my expertise at all, he said, are all because of the persuasiveness, not just of the words, but the spirit of the individual. And I really believe that that is your best barometer as to uh, what's going to make it and what ain't going to make it. 
Well, Barbara, this has been absolutely fantastic. We, we know your time is tight today. So we also know that you've got a really exciting show coming up tomorrow night. Yes, yes, we do a wacky one. We got a few whacks on the show and a few great people. You'll see. You'll know the difference. <laughs> right on, right on, right on. So everyone should tune in tomorrow night on the Shark Tank, only on ABC, and see Barbara. And I understand there's going to be a profile of Mr. Wonderful. I was happening. just going to say that. I was waiting for you to finish. And you <laughs> know what? For that. everybody out there who thinks that Kevin O'Leary, who calls himself Mr. Wonderful, is not wonderful, I think you're in for a surprise. Because I think, for me, I never thought to ask him. But for me, the most fascinating thing is why does he adore money? How does a guy make money his god? And I think you're going to be surprised at how that actually happened to tiny little Kevin O'Leary when he was a kid. He, I think I, he even cries on the piece is what I heard. The rumor, he I can hope cry. it's true because <laughs> I want to see him cry. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. Sounds exciting. I'll that's, be watching. Yeah. Well, my, Michael and I are from Canada and uh, we're based here in Canada. And uh, Kevin's one of us and we're very proud of him. And we're also very proud of Robert. Uh, to have, I uh, say take him out behind the barn and shoot the guy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Well, listen, on that note, Barbara, it's been extremely exciting to have you here uh, on Thank our podcast. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for taking Thank the time. Do good work. Keep it up. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank take you, care. Barbara. All right. Thank you. Bye. You can find out all of the information on this episode at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. And as well, Shark Tank airs Friday nights, 9 to 10 p.m., Catch all new episodes on Shark Tank only on ABC. This segment is called Success Leaves Clues. And what it is, is an interview with one of the people we've worked with who's at least 10x their success. And they're going to share how they did it. We're super excited about our guest on the segment today, her name is Adele Spragan, and she's one of our customers, and she's got a really, really amazing and remarkable story to tell. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Michael. Hey, Adele. It's great to have you on. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, you know, one of the things that's really gratifying for us is seeing you really take your success to such an amazing level. Could, could you just take a couple minutes and share your story? Sure. Um, so before I came to work with you guys, I've been in business five years, and I was taking a really tactical approach to my business, I'll call it. So I was hiring a lot of coaches, taking a lot of training programs, and they were saying, well, just go on stage and do a speech. And I would go on stage and do a speech. And, you know, go and um, do Facebook ads. So I would run off and do Facebook ads. Go do a four-part video. So I would run off and do a four-part video. And frankly, I was driving myself crazy because nothing was working. And five years in business and just limping along, spending a lot more money than I was bringing in because I was spending it not only on all the training, but on all the uh, amount of money that it cost to put all this structure in place and then to have nothing work was extremely frustrating for me. And I just, uh, I was heartbroken because I was watching my message, which I know is incredibly powerful, just die on the market. And it was, frankly, it was killing me. So coming to work with you guys was a breath of fresh air. It really was. You showed me one of the things that really stood out for me right from the beginning is as a thought leader, it was impossible for me to choose a niche because 
I knew that the method, my intellectual property that I was delivering had such a broad appeal and could help so many people. And so as a thought leader, when I heard from every single one of the other coaches on the planet, just choose a niche, that's it. That's what you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That's your niche. I would get stubborn and balk and go, no, I'm not going to do it. And what I loved about thought leadership is this idea of spinning plates. So yes, you start with one niche, but as soon as that one is established and it's making $10,000 a month, then you can move on to another niche and spin another plate. And the whole idea is eventually you're spinning six plates. Well, to me, that was a total breath of fresh air. I, I felt like I was freedom from the box. And suddenly I was unleashed and that was it. I haven't looked back since. Well, it's been absolutely remarkable to watch you do it so quickly, Adele. And I think it's it's a testament to the fact that you've been at it for a while. And as much as it wasn't very fun to do and it wasn't probably enjoyable to go through those challenges, you needed to go through those because you're bringing a lot of learning to the table. And then once you had this new strategy in place, you're able to just rock it right through and, I mean, phenomenal growth in your revenue. Absolutely. I, I don't have a single regret. You know, I work with entrepreneurs and I work with entrepreneurs who are stuck, stuck with fears and self-doubts and can't move themselves forward. And what I always tell them to do is fail a lot in your first year. Go out there, make all the mistakes that you can make. And the more mistakes you make, the better off you're going to be <laughs> because uh, it's cheap to make those mistakes in the beginning. It's very expensive to make them five, 10 years into your business when you can crash your whole business. So make them on the ground and then you'll be soaring very shortly. So let's get into, because I absolutely agree, and let's get into some of those steps that you took initially. When you came out of the program initially, what did you do? The first thing I did was I said, okay, um, you know, Nikki had said something to me and it really resonated with me. So one of the things that I've learned from going all, through all this and one of the things that I teach is that we don't always know what the problem is that we're trying to solve. And oftentimes we're running around solving the wrong problem. And that's what gets us stuck in the first place. And Nikki just simply said to me, Adele, you're not owning your marketing. And as soon as he said that, I went, you're right. I had this idea that there were experts out there who knew how to do marketing and I didn't. And so that would have me throw myself into the hands of these so-called experts. Not that they're not experts. It's just that they knew what was working for them, just not what would work for me. But I would throw myself fully into their hands and saying, I'm yours, fix me. And so as soon as he said, you're not owning your marketing, I said, great. What would I do if I was brand new in business? What is the, what is the only thing that I would do? And what I did was I got my banner back out and I got my little postcards back out and I went to women's conferences and I set up a booth and I just started right from square one. And I just said, I, I went for sale. That's all I did. And that totally freed me up. I was just selling. And once I was selling, it, it just took off from there. Yeah, you know, Adele, your story is very remarkable. And one of the things that I really like about your story is you came to me and you talked a little bit about the money you'd spent in setting up systems and building processes and ads and so forth. 
And one of the things that you started to do once uh, we got to, to work with one another is you went into this mode that Michael and I like to call pitch, sell, and deliver. Um, could you just expand a little bit about how that was different for you? You know, people would say, well, just do it. Just do it this way. And I was totally invested in just doing it their way. And so I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on Facebook ads. And when I went to my coach and said, it's not working, he said, well, it's Facebook. Put more money towards it. So I was putting more money towards it. And so, you know, pitch, sell, and deliver is just, I, I already had the intellectual property. I already had the package that I knew I was delivering. But you don't have to. The whole idea is sell it first. Because once you exactly. sell it, you know that the market needs it. And until you sell it, you don't know what the market wants. So go out there, pitch, see if, some, if you get any bites, any nibbles, sell, and then create your content. That is the only way to create content. Because really, that content is being created inside that group. It is a co-creation between you as the deliverer and the person as the receiver. And when they hit a block, it forces you as the deliverer to come up with more, to dig deeper into yourself and to find that solution for that other person. So it isn't all created within yourself. And many entrepreneurs make that mistake. They do, they, don't they? They think yeah. that they have it all inside them, and they don't. They need that other person reflecting back, bouncing off things, trying different things in order to, make, to bring out their best. They do, don't they? They do make that mistake. And that's one of the things that, that uh, we noticed and you noticed is that people go in there and they, they spend all this money and they take all this time to build something that the market doesn't even necessarily want. While it's so much better if you go out there and do what you know my phenomenal uh, co-host Michael calls credit card validation. Make sure that there's somebody who actually gives a darn about what you're offering and is ready to pay for it before you take all the time to go out there and build it. Because if you do that, as you said, it's a co-creation. It's not just you trying to think of what the market might want and getting it wrong at least half the time. Yes. Yeah, like when I first created this technique, I didn't even know how I was going to do it. I knew <laughs> I've wow. got a bunch of people in my basement and I said, here's the value I deliver. And I had no idea how we were going to get there. <laughs> and then I, every week I would panic, run to my journal, scribble down everything that had happened, cry my blues into there and then wait for the magic to arrive. And it did every time, every time the answer would come from somewhere deep within me and boom, we were off and running for another week. And then I would do it again. Scary as hell, but that is entrepreneurship. We are risk takers and we dance on the skinny branches of life most of the time. And sometimes we fall flat and pick ourselves up and do it again. Well, Adele, your picture on Barbara Corcoran's wall would be right side up. And you'll know what that means when you go back and listen to this episode. Because Barbara Corcoran was talking about the fact that what success needs is just busting through the door and figuring out as you go. And resilience is the key to success. And so uh, make sure you go back and listen to that. Can you talk a little bit about what were some of the things that you did aside from just being at a conference? What, what did you see being successful? I had to start off being extremely generous is the best way I can describe it. I gave away a free 90-minute call to anybody who came to my booth. And the reason I, I did that was because I had to establish myself in the market as being credible. So 
that generosity allowed me then to up my prices and to keep doubling my prices and increasing my prices. Because first, it showed people what it is that I was offering and that I had something of value. But if I was just coming out selling at the beginning and they didn't know me and I didn't have a reputation, they're not going to buy, frankly, right? Why would they? There's just too much competition out there. So that's one of the things I did. The second thing I did was I stopped worrying about my website. I stopped worrying about like social media and all of that stuff. And I went right back to, okay, all I'm looking for is this one sale. And I remembered one thing that one coach said to me, which always stuck in me. He said, Adele, you have no idea how much work it takes to ask somebody to open their wallets. And so I just kept that in mind. And I just stopped thinking about how I looked out there on the market and started worrying about how am I going to deliver value to this one person standing in front of me? And that just, you know, from there, everything snowballs, right? Now I'm looking at hiring a business executive who is going to position me out there and help to bring my brand. And now I can hire the copywriters. Now I can hire the website experts, but that's not what you do in the first. You know, Adele, that's bang on point. And what I really love about what you're talking about is a lot of thought leaders get into this game of thought leadership and making a difference for people. And then they get stuck. They hit a plateau, you know, and they can't seem to get off this plateau. And it's absolutely horrible for them, right? Because they're not able to make that difference that they were born to make. They're not able to take their family on those dream vacations. And it affects their family relationships, right? And and, and they start to get burned Mm -hmm. out. And when they get burnt out, the the people that are working with them don't get the very best that they have to offer. And it's an absolutely horrible life. It it, it can actually suck your soul dry. And what's beautiful about what you're talking about, Adele, is that you've figured out how to take the right steps at the right time. You're following almost like a, a, a path that's been trod upon before, but putting your own individual stamp on it, if you will. Yes, yes. And that's what I encourage all new entrepreneurs to do. You know, all entrepreneurs have a story, a success story, right? They will all tell you how they struggled in the beginning. And that struggle is is necessary. It's part of the journey. And we we can't escape it. However, to follow the path, to to listen to somebody who has walked the path before can provide tremendous guidance. All we got to do is get out of our own way and listen and do it. And I think that's what you guys provide. You provide that that ladder, that step-by-step, here's what you do at this stage. Now that you're at this stage, here's the next step. Now that you're at this stage, here's the next step. And the freedom of that is tremendous. You, you bet. And uh, tell, talk a little bit about the community. I know you have really great relationships with some of our other clients that are in our community. How has that helped you? Oh, it's huge. We get together every Sunday morning and we're forming these, um, these mastermind groups, we'll call them, outside of the formal weeks that we get together. So that's tremendous because it's that help of the community. You know, my business model is something that I, I needed a bit of help with. And it was one of the community members who said, Adele, that business model is not going to work. Try this, right? 
So, you know, it's little things like that where we can see each other and support each other and just help each other to get past those blocks when we get stuck. Yeah, and one of the philosophies we live by is by tremendous Charlie Jones, and this is one of Nikki's favorite Charlie quotes. Tremendous Jones. <laughs> I always mess that up. Charlie good. Tremendous Jones, you, you are but the same person in five years, but for the books you read and the people you surround yourself with. And really the gold, I think, of what we do best is we put tremendous people like you in a room together so that you can all feed off of the energy, the knowledge, and ambition to forward yourself exponentially forward into, into your business success. Yeah, and we all have, bring different skills, different talents. So we can tap into each other and, uh, you know, I can use the skills of the group and they can use me up too. So it's perfect. Yeah, that's fantastic. And Adele, you know what? I just would love for you to just share, like, what has participating in this work really meant for you in terms of, like, bottom line results? I mean, where were you at before and where are you at now? Um, well, you know, at first I was embarrassed to say this, but I was at the point where my husband was ready to tear up my credit cards because I was spending so much of the family money that he was just saying, Adele, I'm sorry, but I can't, we can't continue to do this. And he was absolutely right. I was probably spending twice as much as what I was bringing in. Um, in the first month after joining, I went from, I, I brought in $9,500. The month after that, I brought in 10000 and I haven't looked back since. So it's been a consistent 10000 month over month. And my last month, I brought in 30000 Wow. Remarkable. That's absolutely fantastic. You know what? What's beautiful about your story is that you're, you get to make the difference that you were born to make. I know that one of the members of our community ended up using your services in a particular area, and others have as well. And one of the things that you do is, you know, you help couples who are on the verge of breakup go back to the point where they're like lovebirds again, right? And um, yeah, I, I don't know, just speaking for myself as someone who's gone through a, a, a marriage breakup, as far as I'm concerned, that's doing God's work and helping someone like you be able to do that at a bigger level, that really makes me feel good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, that was the thing that was making me cry, right? Before, when I couldn't get that message out there, is that I knew that I could help people like him and his wife, you know, and literally they went from, we're, we're going to get a divorce. I mean, he said to me, like, Adele, you're the last hope that I have, because I've already told her. And within eight weeks, they went from that to not being able to keep their hands off each other, being totally madly in love. And it's, it's lasting. I mean, it's, that's been a number of months now and they're still like newlyweds. So, you know, that's what I love about what I do is because those messages will get lost if we don't get ourselves out of our own way and get out there into the world. And that's what I love about what you guys do because offering that support provides that level of genius out there in the world. Sorry if that sounded like I was bragging. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Well, we, ju we just got to say, um, Michael and I uh, were both really honored uh, to, to get the opportunity to work with you and watch you be able to blossom and make that difference you were born to make and help those people who really need it. I mean, these are families you're talking about here and, and children are involved in many cases. And if you can help restore them and you do so effectively, it's just fantastic. And it's a real honor to get to uh, watch you do that, Adele. 
Michael and I both are grateful that you're part of our community. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast today on this inaugural segment, Success Leaves Clues. Oh, you're so welcome. And I'm the one who's blessed. So thank you for being there and thank you for supporting me. And yeah, I'll continue to spread my message. Thank you, Adele. That wraps up our Success Leaves Clues segment. To learn more about Adele and the results she's been able to achieve, you can find the information at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.